0: Craft Beer Professionals launched in-person workshops to bring our virtual community face-to-face. CBP Connects, presented by Arrive POS, are intimate and interactive workshops designed to help you grow both personally and professionally. In 2022, we hosted workshops in St. Louis, Missouri and Norfolk, Virginia that were attended by hundreds from across the country. This year, we can't wait to see you June 19th to 21st in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Get excited for 12 interactive sessions, three nightly receptions showcasing local breweries, a trade show, and your opportunity to learn and gain new and meaningful connections. CBP is built on relationships, and you can claim your spot for CBP Connects at cbpconnects.com. That's cbpconnects.com.
1: See you there. night PK. How you going, mate? All oh, good, man. How about yourself?
0: i'm all right man going good things are going good at the uh rockstar brewer academy and it's great to be here with you today to talk about some practical ways you can make some
1: awesome beer with data yeah and so for everybody watching in this is part of the uh, craft beer professionals presentation that we're going to be doing on how you can actually utilize beer 30 to focus in on brew more and brew better and we're actually going to get into some real practical things hopefully from this that even if you're not using beer 30 that are really just five ways to improve your overall brewery's life cycle and focus in on how you brew more and brew better and how you can make a difference and get into the day-to-day and learn some hopefully you learn five key takeaways from this from this presentation yeah
0: it's gonna be pretty cool let's dive in man what are we what are we talking
1: about first yeah i think the first one that comes to mind is really focusing on the uh brew day side of things and so Hendo, I'm gonna pass it over to you since you are the uh, what was it 2016 uh, IBA champion or something, right? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> for, for those of you who've never seen it before, Hendo is an absolute legend in the Australian beer community. When it comes to brewing, when it comes to his brand Rockstar Brew and coaching breweries, and he's won a number of awards. And so I always, uh, you know, tip my hat off to Hendo when it comes to anything brewing related, quality related, fermentation. So. He's going to focus in more on the uh, brewing side for today's talk, and I'm going to focus in more on the uh, business and operations side of the talk.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, I think the first thing that we need to dive into is, um, and I'm going to take this from the perspective of being a head brewer, and let's say you're managing a small team uh, of people on the production floor, and you're trying to keep an eye on what they're doing, because in a typical brewery, there's lots of things going on, Um, lots of things that can go wrong and you really need to be keeping an eye on things as best as you possibly can so that uh, beer production doesn't skew off and go in a direction and have a negative impact on the quality. The most common place that head brewers tend to look is they tend to look at their work production on brew day uh, to see how things are going. So Beer30 has got some really interesting ways in which you can make sure that things are on target so what i'm going to do is i'm just going to share my screen here and uh can you see that there pk
1: yeah you yeah, good
0: thanks man awesome so what i've got here is i'm actually in the brew module in beer 30 and probably one of the most powerful things that i like about the the brew module in beer 30 is the fact that you can uh set targets around your recipe so from a head brewer's perspective The way that I like to brew is I like to um, set target numbers around each part of the brewing process, whether it's mashing or laudering, boil times, gravities, all that sort of stuff. Um, And then what you can do is you can actually tell Beer30 to uh, set up some target tolerances around these things. And we can see an example of this right here. So, for example, I've got a brew going on here or a turn going on here, uh, which has some numbers related to it that are actually color-coded that are giving me warnings okay so for me it's all about targets and tolerances if something is within tolerance it's on spec i don't need to know right just keep going right i only need to know when things are not going wrong in the brewery so that i can uh intervene and correct the issue so you can see here that that, um in this particular situation uh this mash ph we can see that the recipe target here is 5.3 and this brew hasn't mashed in particularly well, and we've got a mash pH of 5.9. And what's happened here is the, uh, is B30 has given us a red traffic light to say, hey, this is out of tolerance and that sort of thing, right? Um, The other thing you can do is same with temperatures as well, is you can go and, uh, you know, if you're not hitting the correct mash temperature or your strike water temperature and that sort of thing, all of those things will appear out of tolerance. So for example, let's say I've got a tolerance here of one of uh, I've, I've say one degree either side and I hit 145 degrees Celsius. And I've lost the save button that's behind my screen there, dude. <laughs> so I'll just hit the So if I hit the save button there, you can see that I'm one degree Fahrenheit off target, but it's turned green. So that basically tells the brewer that you're actually within tolerance and can continue, okay? Um, Now, how I actually set these tolerances is really, really simple. So I just go up to the top right corner here and I go into tools. And what I can do is I have got my, which one is it called? Target tolerances, there we go. So right throughout the whole brewing process, I've got access to all of the critical data points in the brewing process and And also, what I set the tolerances to be. So, this is so looking at the mash pH, this is one that I've already set up. So, basically, I've got a, a, I'm going to give my brewers a green light if they're within plus or minus 0.08 of the target mash pH. If they're between 0.08 and 0.1, it's going to give them a warning, but that's going to be okay. And if they go outside of 0.1, then uh, it's going to, flag it as a red light, okay? And that's the reason, and if I go back to my brew, um, that is the reason that this MASH pH here, because it's plus six out of um, off the target, it's out of tolerance. So if I go and update that to say, uh, I'm gonna make this a yellow just to give us some different colors here, PK. So if I go 5.39, so I'm close to being out of spec, but I'm still, you know, within tolerance, hit save. And what'll happen here is it's given me my yellow warning, right? Now, it's one thing to see lots of different traffic light colors and stuff like that, but where, uh, what really floats my boat is I wanna get notified when things aren't going right in the brewery, uh, particularly around um, uh, brew day and that sort of thing. So if I go into the Hendo and then go profile, go into my profile, I can actually set up notification um, preferences here. Uh, And the good thing a beer 30 does is I can get an email. That's great, I get a thousand emails a day, probably gonna ignore it, but a text message, that's something that's gonna be super powerful for me. So provided I've entered my phone number, what I can actually do is I can actually set up warnings around uh, the brew log to say, don't notify me, send me an email, send me a text or send me both. Okay. Um, And so it's just, it's really just as simple as going text or both like that. And that's it. So as soon as that yellow or red light is hit on a brew date, I'm going to get instantly notified and I can intervene in the situation and I can correct it. Pretty cool. Hey.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks for, thanks for diving in on that one. That's a pretty powerful feature for sure, especially when it comes to the, proactivity side right because i think everything that we do in beer 30 really figures out how how can a brewery and a brewer focus on being very proactive right and at the end of the day if this is just on a big whiteboard or piece of paper as you're doing it you're not really going to get alerted if it's on a piece of paper absolutely yeah it, it just doesn't help out and i think the other thing with that is you know not only do you not get alerted but then if things aren't within spec you're just not able to react fast enough and so that has an impact as well and so I think, you know, it becomes an element of day-to-day operations. And even if you're not using Beer 30, getting systems in place where you actually are able to get that real-time notification when things aren't going. And if you don't have that, maybe worth looking at, especially as you get into 2023 or the rest of this year and focus on how you can actually focus on the quality side of your system.
0: I I talk to a lot of my clients about viewing their brewery as a black box. So a lot of brewers, particularly ones when they're just starting out, they look at their Their brewery in terms of I do work production, then something happens, and then beer pops out the other end, and the whole brewery, brewing, you know, the whole process in the middle becomes this black box. And if you have a batch of beer transition through the black box and pop out the other end, and then you get to the other end and you got a glass of the beer, you might be drinking it out of the bright tank, or you might be having it at the bar or cracking a can or something like that, and you smell it and you taste it and you go, something wrong with that, right? Everyone's done it. everyone said that there's something wrong with that beer, right? But at that moment when you're you've got the beer either in your bright tanker in a in in pack, it's too late to fix it, right? And so that's why having things like real-time alerts means that you can intervene, correct the beer, and then um and then continue on. It's like do you ever watch South Park?. No couple episodes here and there nothing
1: that's not okay. my show.
0: <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever know the uh did you ever see the episode with the underpants gnomes wow that's not my show so <laughs> so basically they, a, they have these have Simpson, these characters a
1: Simpson, Simpson, <laughs> you're a simpsons I'm guy yeah
0: <laughs> so they have this thing called the underpants gnomes and what the underpants gnomes do is they collect underpants all right okay. and they sneak around at night and they collect underpants and okay. when these when they when uh i can't remember which character to talk to probably Cartman, no doubt. It's like underpants gnomes, right? And they've got this mantra, this three-step mantra. It's like, step one, collect underpants. Step two, step three, profit. All right. And it's like, and and the the conversation goes, so what's step two? It's like, step three is profit. (laughs) But So basically the whole thing being is that you've got to have an understanding of what's going on in the middle of your brewing process so that you can actually make decent beer.
1: That was it. I know it's about to be on a presentation or we're talking about under that, That's a new one for me, Enda, so good. a on, on, on that. So good. Um, so let's talk
0: about, let's, let's move on, shall we? Let's segue into something um, a little bit more uh, data-centric, shall we? Um, production planning meetings. You've probably been to a few in your time.
1: Yeah, for sure. What are they like, usually? I mean, the biggest thing that comes to my mind from it is really understanding what's happening in three key areas, right? Brew, filter, pack. And realistically, you could also add brew, filter, pack, ship if you're looking at that fourth axis and Mm -hmm. trying to just understand how the brewery is trending. And I think that's really where things dive in of like understanding the numbers of how is production really going and being able to set targets for the team accordingly.
0: Yeah. And so, h- how do you know if the brewery is operating on target? So, usually, you know, um, business managers will sort of set some targets around production, um, and um, you know, h- how does how does someone use data to determine if a brewery is busy or not?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great point. So, here let me screen share and let's dive in on number two, which is really getting into the beer thirty brew filter pack side of things, and so. The idea here is that on the dashboard, as soon as you log in, you're able to see what's going on for the last 12 weeks when it comes to brewing filter packaging. And the cool thing about this is that you can actually go in as a manager and set targets for your teams. And so if I actually go over here to the report side and go to my uh, process tab, I then go into these process volumes and it's literally showing me how data is trending week over week for brew filter package. And up top here, what you can notice is you know just based off of the the data sets maybe i have different batch sizes i'm brewing the liquid it's then being filtered and then it's going into packaging i can ensure understanding how i'm trending week over week now the cool thing about this right is that if i'm running a brewery and i'm looking at it from how's my team performing i want them to have a target right at the end of the day everything at a brewery realistically should be driven on kpis and I would say that's usually how all businesses are and so these kpis key performance indices that are there really tie in well here's my target of 150 here's my target of 135 here's my target of 120 and how am i trending on that week over week and how is that deviating from those set points and so one of the cool things i love about this is that in this view you can look at it for all brands or you can start breaking it down based on different gears that you also have so Think about your IPAs versus your loggers, right? Or maybe you're making this badass, like double dry hop hazy. Well, the yield for that is definitely going to be lower than your yields for your crisp, clean lager, right? I and know, I know so, <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of money there, Hendo. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so with that, the cool thing here is that you're actually able to start breaking this down on the different batch of uh, the brand names that are there and being able to trend this data And you can also then break this down across different brands, all brands. And this is where as a manager, you can even set targets for those particular beers. So imagine I know that my hazy is gonna give me a, you know, 100 barrel yield, 70 barrel filter. Well, the packaging should still be around, you know, 68 to 69 barrels because really the loss is happening at that filter step. But maybe for the logger, it's a little bit different. And so because of that, you're able to really adjust these metrics and that can also then tie in with what is it that you want to see on the dashboard. And so the coolest thing about this as well is when you start breaking this down, um, one of our breweries uh, here in the States, Pelican Brewing, really utilized this brew filter pack to take their flagship uh, flagship beer, Beak Breaker, and really understand and give their team targets to hit on the brew day, filter day, and packaging. And then use this to incentivize the team and get into this aspect of, hey, you know, which brewers are the ones that are hitting their targets? And what can we do as a team to bring up the oh, whole
0: Oh, gamifying it.
1: Yeah, exactly. You start gamifying what's going on on this process volume side. And now as an owner, you're looking at this and you're like, hey, we got to improve on X, Y, Z. And then you're able to have true targets and metrics that help build out your production plan. Because if you don't know how much is actually being yielded in packaging from what you're brewing, and figuring out ways to optimize that you're not going to be able to actually brew mm-hmm. more that's there because it may just be around of tank space if you're having yeah okay so how, how does that work right so i can see the three dotted
0: the straight lines there which is my target and whether i'm hitting that target which week, and that's overall isn't it on that particular view
1: exactly this is overall for my brewery and i'm saying hey yeah. my team is at 150 one hundred two, one thirty five, and one twenty on the targets.
0: Okay, and what happens when when I set up a, a a target for a particular brand? Does that change how this view works, or does it add the, all your brands together? Or
1: yeah, that's a great question. So here, this is for all brands. Let's say I was going to do my brown sugar ale. Yeah, I can then set up the targets here and say, well, for my brew, that's probably going to be like uh, and let's say this is on the smaller kit, so that's eighty. We get into that's per, a-
0: that's per turn.
1: Yeah, 80, yep, 80 yep. Per, We get into let's just say uh sixty-eight and let's just say fifty. All right, I'm just yep, yep. making numbers here. 80, 70, 50. Okay. I can set those as targets and now notice how these have changed and now these uh lines have changed for this brown sugar ale. And if I hit this little star as the default, now when I open up my dashboard, it's gonna load up brown sugar ale. And so now oh, this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> And so now this is showing me just for my brown sugar ale and what the actual averages are. And so I'm here looking at this and I'm like, great. You know, we're somewhat close on the on the orange line. We got some work to do on the blue line and uh, yeah. packaging. So it becomes a good way to start breaking this down. And then if you know that like 80% of your your product is in this core range of this one beer, this is the one you got to focus in on. Mm-hmm. Now you're able to make production planning decisions accordingly. And the the
0: the thing is, is that, you know, um, you know, batch yields, your 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 volume brewed versus your volume packed. If you can bring those or reduce those losses, that's money for jam. Hey.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you take a look at it, you know, every percentage that you're saving when it comes to the yields and efficiency size, every percentage could literally be tens to hundreds to thousands of dollars, depending on the scale that mm. you're at. And so mm. that's really where it, this is so powerful. And I think that many brewers just gloss over this when this is one of the key aspects of having those metrics and KPIs to get this over the finish line.
0: Yeah. All that money that you're spending on labor and raw materials and energy and all that sort of stuff just to put it down the bloody drain, mate.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the power of efficiencies, right? If you don't do it correctly, you're just going down the drain exactly right. Hmm. Um, Yeah. So let's shift over to topic number three. And this is one that Oh man, I know you he loved this one. Uh, it's looking at really charts and understanding how you can actually use Beer 30 data from a fermentation tracking side. And in general, even if you're not using beer 30, if you're charting stuff out, I've gone into breweries where they have a little graphing chart and they have X's on how gravities are trending over time and things, but really want to talk about something like uh, you know, Diastaticus and understanding just process-wise, Hendo from your experience. How do you use charts and graphs to really improve the overall beer quality so that way you are brew better?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have a lot of uh, prospective clients reach out to me and they are in um, uh, like, oh shit mode. It's like, oh shit, something's gone wrong. I need to call someone outside the brewery. And so they'll pick up the phone. And usually the issue is, is they've got... Um, Refermenting beer in pack, so basically that means that they're gonna, you know, beers refermenting in package, and they're either in a bottle or a can or a keg. Beers are overcarbonated; they're gushing. You've got exploding bottles, exploding cans, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's just <laughs> not a good situation. And a lot of the time, this beer is out in the market, and consumers are being directly impacted, and that becomes like a food safety issue and that sort of thing. So. The thing is, is that what brewers tend to do when they're troubleshooting issues is they dive straight into troubleshooting mode. It's like, oh, what, this happened, this happened, this happened, and making lots of theories and lots of conjecture and all that sort of stuff as to what exactly went wrong. Not only is that really stressful, especially in a time when you've got product out in the market affecting real consumers and causing real brand damage, it doesn't, it just doesn't work, mate, you know. So um, so I think data is kind of the, the best way uh, to be able to troubleshoot this, these issues. So let's have a look at a hypothetical situation of how I actually capture uh, a diastaticus issue. That's probably one of them, uh, it's It's one of the two ways you're going to wind up with overcarbonation, two main ways you're going to wind up with overcarbonation of product you're either gonna have a diastaticus issue or you're gonna have dry hop creep issue. Um, this is kind of, this will actually catch both of those issues. So if I just jump into the, uh, uh, the dashboard here, right? And so I've got my tank of uh, brown sugar ale in uh, FV11 sitting here. And so what I'll do is I can see a small chart here. I'm just gonna dive into the ferment module so that I can see that chart a little bit bigger. And where are you? Brown sugar ale. It's the 11 Okay, so what we can see here, right? And normally if you've got a paper log, you're gonna see something like this, where you've got lots and lots of data, but you can't really visualize it, right? And it's gonna be very difficult to, um, to to diagnose what the issue is. So what I've got here is I've actually got a fermentation chart, Year 30 does it by default. That's one of the things I love about it. The red line is the gravity. The blue line is the pH. The uh, green line is the actual temperature and the orange line is what I've set the tank temperature to be. Um, And so by visualizing your fermentation chart, you can glean so much, right? So let's say that I happen to have had an issue out in the field, or maybe this product's still in the tank and still fermenting away. I have a look at the red uh, gravity line here And I can see that the beers very quickly reached something near to where it's terminal. And all of a sudden on subsequent days, I can see this very slow creep over almost 10 days where the gravity continues to drop, 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 and it's not stable. And if the gravity, if the gravity is not stable, uh, uh, you know, normally I wouldn't even think about crash chilling the beer and and sending it off to pack because there's something wrong now. When you've got an issue here as to you know you can see that there's some gravity creep going on um, you've got to ask yourself is it a dry hop creep issue uh is it a potential diastaticus issue or is there a potential uh issue perhaps with uh some bacterial issue right now the good thing is is with a chart like this i don't even need to go to the lab and plate anything up in order to um diagnose whether i can i can eliminate straight away as to whether we've got a bacteria or a yeast issue. And straight away I can eliminate whether the, the fact that we 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 don't have a bacteria issue, right? So bacteria usually lactic acid, but uh, lactic acid bacteria, what do they produce? They produce lactic acid, therefore they're going to make the pH of the beer drop. Okay. But if I have a look at my pH line, and over this sort of 10, 10-day 10 period from day four onto day 14, 15 or so the pH has stayed relatively the same and it's sitting in the sort of mid fours, right? Which is pretty normal for for certain styles of beer. So because the pH hasn't dropped, there's no lactic acid being produced. So straight away, I can eliminate that there being a potential bacteria issue. The next thing that I'm looking at is I'm gonna keep looking at this slow drop in gravity and the temperature is sort of trending down a bit, okay? And what that's basically telling me is that there's not a lot of, uh thermal um you know metabolism of yeast going on there's something happening something's consuming the sugars but it's not enough for the temperature of the beer to reach the point where the glycol jackets are going to switch on and, and control the temperature of that tank okay so i can basically say what i've got here and and here's my set temp on the orange line up here so it's actually trending down away from my tank set temp so i can pretty well say that I've got either a dry hop creep problem or I've got a diastaticus issue, okay? Now, um, to further diagnose it from there, uh, you're probably gonna need to do a little bit of lab work. So probably what you're gonna need to do is maybe do a limit attenuation test. That they, they can be done pretty quickly, uh, which is basically taking a sample, fermenting it at, you know, 27, 30 degrees Celsius, or you're gonna to need to put some work into the micro lab and um, uh, use either selective media or uh, PCR to look for a potential diastaticus
1: issue, okay? Um, there is an there's issue also, with this I beer. Have, I, <laughs> hey, what's that? There's also, there's also another simple way to think about that, I and mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because this is in my area of expertise, but in Beer 30, if you actually scroll up and go to the cellaring additions, you can actually, or even if you just click on, yeah, if you go to cellaring changes and go to the addition side, and you go down to the brown sugar ale, um, you can actually see here the full history of what was actually dry hopped and when. Oh right? yeah. And so in theory, you can also look at it here and be like, well, hold on, is there a way to actually have a dry hop, you know, dry hop creep happening if I haven't dry hopped yet? So that's a, yeah, exactly. it. Yeah. Exactly. Well. Yep. Yeah,
0: for sure. Yep. Um, the, the batch history as well is probably another way you can you can do that in one page. I, I I really love the batch history in that I can go pull up brown sugar ale. Where are we batch thirteen? Uh, uh, there one. we go, right. second one. There we go. And so basically, the batch history is a really good way uh, to be. And I can break this is everything about the um, about the batch, but I can drill down into the ferment, have a look at all of the numbers and um uh, uh, can i s- just scroll down oh to see the ferment editions. there we yeah. go yeah so
1: here's your selling editions already all there all all part of it yeah so, i can see so, so you know it, this- without, without even getting into the lab side of things just being able to like be like well hey maybe you do have to look at it from a lab perspective but it could even be as simple as well using hendo's logic well, if I'm never dry hop, it's definitely not dry hop. And so yeah. dry hop, creep, so it has to be diastaticus. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. So um, that's the thing. And so the, the the key takeaway there, mate, is is rather than sort of going, oh, it could be this, it could be this, it could be that, you know, it's like, stop, take a moment, look at the data and let it tell you what the hell's going on with that beer so that you can actually uh, focus your troubleshooting and diagnosis efforts on things that are more plausible. All right. So yeah, it's pretty cool. The,
1: the beauty behind this that I love is everything you're talking about is making data-driven decisions, right? And I keep harping on this, which is, again, for everybody, you can use Beer30 for this, but if that's on your cup of tea, you can go in a completely different direction with other softwares or Excel spreadsheets and things. But the key from Hendo's entire aspect is you need to start looking at the the reasons why graphs are trending the way that they are to be able to make those informed guesses those hypotheses behind it and then use the data to prove exactly what's going on with it yeah exactly but here's the here's the real kick about is let's say in
0: my brewery i'm harvesting yeast and i'm putting that yeast into other tanks right and i can see in this um uh batch 13 of brown sugar ale and i'll bring that up again right so let's say i've got this brown sugar ale and i'm repitching yeast so if i go and i and i think that i think that i might have taken this yeast and uh re this, this uh, isn't
1: even i love this because this isn't even planned this is just like bonus work that henna <laughs> just came up with so I mean, <laughs> just gonna talk about the fermentation side so this is awesome let's get into yeast man
0: yeah yeah yeah. so watch this right so where's my uh brown sugar ale where are you there we go brown sugar ale and we are on batch 11 uh, and 13 I got, I think we're 13, 13 sorry mate and do i go apply filters there we go okay so what i've got now is this whole yeast genealogy tree. And the ones that are in green, I'll zoom in on those and I can drag this around here. Uh, So here's the batch that's been affected. And then I can ask myself, okay, what's happened uh, with the yeast that I've got from here, where's it gone? Well, I can see that some of it's gone into yeast brinks where it says new vessel and it's been destroyed, which is great, but however, I've I've harvested some yeast from this tank into a yeast brink, and then I've pitched it into the batch of Malaysian IPA that's actually, current, that's actually sitting in FV82 with this batch number 220929, and that I've even harvested some of that yeast from that tank, and it's currently sitting in yeast brink 04. So not only have I diagnosed the issue, but I've tracked the yeast, and I've gone and tracked where that yeast has gone, and where the yeast currently is so if I go and have a look at my yeast inventory you can see here where's yeast brink 04 right currently sitting there I've got 50 gallons of potentially diastaticus yeast sitting in a yeast brick right that's that's really scary pk because but however what's good about it is that I know which equipment has been affected and I can go and undertake remedial cip on that yeast brink 04 I can t- undertake. I can destroy that batch of Malaysian IPA that that yeast has been re- um, repitched into because I know it's going to. Uh, there's it'll be have be put on quality stop and that'll be the end of it. And I can go and do a remedial CIP on that tank as well.
1: All right. I got one more for you, right? So let's go into bonus round number two here. All right. So I want you to screen share again. Screen share again. I'm not sure you About this. Um. So we just discovered, right, that uh, FB082 has an issue with it. So, what yes. you do is go over to the fermentation page, or you can go to dashboard, that's fine. Yeah, just yeah, scroll yeah. down now and go to that 082. Yeah. And now we click on this, right? We established that there's an issue here. So if you go to that custom stage up top, yes, if you click on that, you actually should see one which says QC hold. And now if you hit save, if you scroll down, hey, boom, look at that thing which says QC hold on hold for zero days right now. Right. And so that's another cool thing about this, where just building onto the story. You talked about diastaticus, and we talked about yeast genealogy, and now we're going on this little, I'll call it a side quest, into everything with um, fermentation tanks and getting into these custom stages, where in Beer 30, those stages can apply for brew, ferment, filter, bright tank package, and this is that communication that you end up having between different departments to say, red flag, QC hold, and 082, yes. and discover diastaticus and yeast issues. Boom, now it ties in with the tank as well. So everybody's aware yeah. of what's gone.
0: Even though you're in a major, you know, if I was in this situation, even though you're in a major quality issue that's affecting multiple batches and multiple tanks, I would be comforted by the fact that I'm in control of the situation. You know, I've stopped production, I've put things on QC hold. I've identified equipment. Um, you know, I've I've identified lots of things where where things can go wrong, and I've done it whilst I'm sitting at my desk.
1: Yeah, I mean, you just hit on something else entirely because this is all fully remote, mobile, tablet, laptop friendly. You could be a different country, you could be a different state, you could be at a bar mm. with some friends and you know, just pull it up on your phone and be like, hey, QC Hold, what's going on here? Or you know, maybe you did notice something was off because you were at that bar, look at the data and let others know, hey, I pulled this up on my phone, we had some fermentation issues on this batch number, red flag, let's have a discussion about it.
0: Mm. Indeed. Let's have a chat about a brewery that's not <laughs> about to get nuked from orbit. <laughs> oh, I'm so um, glad the <laughs> now. It's like it's like the Armageddon of brewery situations. <laughs> All right, so let's um let's talk about um some more subtle um quality issues that 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 a lot of breweries uh deal with in their history. Uh, and so one of the the, the common things that that um clients reach out to me about is consistency outcomes
1: um
0: you know why does why is why why when we're making this brand of beer the same every time why are there why is it tasting and smelling and appearing different you know why is it not you know not conforming with uh, uh with a true to brand description or something like that um what's some of the ways that um a, a brewer can go and identify potential issues there
1: yeah, that's a good one. So even from my like past experience, for those of you that don't know, I used to be an engineer at ballast point brewing on the uh, packaging side of things and, you know, really helped out on um, some of the, the filtration side, especially with nitro beer and things. One of the the key aspects that we would look at is, in theory, how do you graph over time and compare multiple batches on top of one another? Right, I think that's where it becomes more powerful, where Hendo, you did an awesome job of showing, you know, Diastaticus and Brown Sugar at number 13. But what if I want to see how graphs are trending for that same brand over the course of six months, over a year or something? Mm-hmm. And that's really where those consistency aspects tie in with, you know, let's call it number four, uh, project number four for Brew Better, Brew More, is really being able to graph and do batch-by-batch comparisons for the same beer. And so let me show this in Beer 30. And so the cool thing here is, When you go into the Beer30 dashboard and you go over to the um, chart side of things, what I'm able to do is I'm able to pick any beer that I want that's brewed in the system. And then I have different categories. So I have brew, ferment, filter, bright tank, force car package and quality. And the beauty behind the way we built this is that you can go ahead and graph any axis on top of one another. So on the X axis, I could do something like fermentation day numbers. On the Y-axis, I can take any variable that's there, including custom fields, right? Because let's be real, no brewery is exactly the same. We may, we come up with like the basic 10 fields, like gravities, pH, temperature. But look, we have breweries that are all over the spot with this, with 10, 15, 20 additional custom fields that they want people checking. And being able to take something like this and say, let me look at gravities. And, you know, I want to compare the last like six batches of beer that happened next to each other. I can then start to generate a chart that I can see how all six of these gravities are so well in line, right? That's pretty sexy, PK. (laughs) (laughs) In my my fake brewery, it's always (laughs) sexy. There, (laughs) Yeah, ties in nicely with the, the gravity side. But let's just say that for whatever reason, and I love your example of taste testing this, whether from the tank or whether it's in finished product, you're just like, ah, you know, something is still off. Well, maybe you look at instead of just gravity, you look at something like pH. And now for those same six beers, I can look at the pH. And now this is telling me a very different story.
0: It's not sexy can... anymore.
1: I apologize. <laughs> and so on the pH side, what this is showing me is that I had my starting pH at 5.1 for this purple line here, batch 0.04. And as compared to my batch 90 from the previous year, that one was at 5.9. And so now this data is showcasing that there's something really going on on my knockout pH side of things. Mm-hmm. And as we know, beer pH, effectively the same thing as beer taste, beer flavor profiles, right? Because they go hand in hand where your pH of the beer ties in directly with what the final outcome is going to be just like every other aspect Mm, so mm. now what i'm able to start seeing is they're starting off different you're coming here and well they're kind of terminating it they're not the same in that range like four six to four eight for some of these Mm. green one is definitely not going to hit it and so it starts letting me paint a picture and you can even in beer 30 add up to five axes so if i do something like gravities and ph here now i'm able to start seeing all of them being trended against one another And Mm -hmm. so now I can even set in the system like, hey, this blue one here is my gold standard. And now I'm able to compare how my batches are comparing to that gold standard. And so this is the beauty behind this. And what's interesting about this is we actually had a a client of ours, uh, a mutual client that really looked at this information for their beers and was, you know, banging their head against it. And Hender, do you want to tell a little bit more about how you helped them troubleshoot using this data for their pH? Stuff? Yeah,
0: that was basically, they were having an issue with 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 flavored inconsistency of a particular brand of beer from batch to batch. And they didn't know what was going on. And luckily they were collecting all of this, uh, all of this data around gravity and pH, right? So looking at the pH chart that you've got here, what I'm looking at is I can see my work pHs and my knockout pHs, are wildly different, but then I can see around day four to six that they're tightening up, okay, and then from about day seven onwards they start to diverge again, and then they kind of meet up again. But it's a little bit of a it's a little bit all over the the shop and that sort of thing, right? So it tells me a couple of things. In with this particular client, it turns out that they weren't setting a target around what the work pH should be at knockout, okay and so the the brewers on the brew deck weren't even looking at it okay and they didn't think it was a a, a, a particular quality metric and so first thing we did is we went and set up a, a a knockout ph target um in beer 30 and set up the tolerances for it and all of a sudden we could actually see what was going on there and brewers being brewers who want to make good good work and good beer. They just went, oh, I've got a target. Okay, I'll, I'll adjust and do it on the fly and that sort of thing. Um, the other, so, and that, what that did is that kind of tackled about 80% of the issue. It was just simply setting the target and it tightened everything up within an acceptable tolerance, right? And so from there, what we then looked at is we let that go for a while and brewed more batches of this product. And uh, what, what we did subsequently was we kept looking at the beer pHs after we'd set that target. And we could still see that in the beer pH at the end of fermentation was still pretty pretty wide, okay? So from there, I can glean from that, okay, let's have a look at our water chemistry. What's going on with the alkalinity of our water? Because that's the key thing that's dropping the pH or preventing pH from dropping during fermentation and that sort of thing. And so then we started looking at water chemistry just out of a, you know, imagine looking at water chemistry from out of a fermentation chart. Um, you know, it's crazy stuff. And then we started diving into things like titratable acidity and all that sort of stuff. In the end, we wound up with a really tight range of, um, an acceptable pH. We found our gold standard batch. That was the pH that we wanted to be the target. And everything else was, was set to be within a tolerance of that gold standard batch and made some really good consistency outcomes there.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. That's a really good uh, you know, case study of how this helps. And you know, taking it a step further, I know from my days at Ballast Point, I was, you know, helping out with their entire water RO skit. And, you know, when you start thinking about as you're producing more beers across different facilities, the water in San Diego, California is so different than the water in Virginia. And, you know, they have facilities on both coasts of the United States. And so being able to look at it from that perspective, you know, the water pH changing or the Alkalinity, like you're talking about, all of that goes into the final product. And so that's also one of the cool things with this is if you have multiple facilities or multiple batch sizes, at the end of the day, when somebody pulls up that can of IPA, they don't care if it's brewed on the east coast of the US or the West Coast of the US. They just care about it It should taste like the treated brand description. And so 100 percent Uh that water chemistry hits on a lot. And for those of you watching this for the first time, Hendo has some awesome videos on his YouTube channel about water chemistry, and he's given Numerous talks. He and I were giving a talk together at uh, Southeast Asia Brewing Seabrew in Thailand um, in October of this past year. So, you know, d- definitely check out some of those talks as well for those tuning in on this. Yeah, awesome. Pretty good, eh? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, wrapping up here, we got about like five, seven minutes left. So, Hendo, let's uh, bring this home. And I'm going to touch upon the one product, the, the one aspect that is nightmares for brewers, yeah. and that is product recall. Right, like that's the one that sends shivers down people's fines. They're not sure what they need to do with this. And so, you know, I know you have an entire course program that ties in with establishing a, a HACCP plan, establishing a, a critical co- uh, critical control points plan for people who don't know what HACCP is, understanding what that is, or then understanding a product recall plan. So since I know you've done this with a number of breweries, just walk us through in about three, four minutes of how is it that we can use Beer30 to actually help build out this product recall plan and just the importance of block traceability. And this is really tying in with both the brew more and brew better aspect of how do you actually use data to brew more and brew better and product recalls? Yeah. So
0: brewers love to just make beer and make beer and make beer and make beer. beer. But imagine one day if you're a brewery owner and your malt supplier gives you a call and says, hey, PK, sorry, mate, but... um, uh, we've got a batch of malt that's that 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 didn't pass QC, um, that's got some pesticide residue on it. What I are you gonna do? Out. <laughs> I'm freaking out <laughs> it's like I right, don't so, know first, well, so all of a sudden, <laughs> right? You're in a situation where um where basically you've made batches and batches and batches of beer uh, with a particular type of malt that's got pesticide in it, that's now beer, that is now sitting out in the market. All right. And you're thinking, what What the hell am I going to do? How am I going to find which batches are affected, okay? Now, the any basic food safety program sort of dictates that you kind of need to have lot traceability. So if you don't know what lot traceability is, basically it is um, whenever you use a raw material from your raw material inventory, your supplier would provide it with a batch number. And then there's the chain of custody of that lot of that raw material into batches of beer with your own batch numbers that you make. Okay. So
1: I'm just going to preface that by saying that whole chain of custody aspect. And when it comes to the purchase orders and receiving vouchers, those can all be tracked in beer 30 as well. So as you make the purchase order and the items come in, you can get that final lot number in beer 30 for all the inventory that's available, which really ties in with this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, basically, what you've got is you've got it in b thirty. If you keep track of your lot traceability, you've got an audit trail of what's gone into what batch. Okay, so if your um, uh, if your multiplier rings up and says, "Sorry, mate, there's some pesticide residue on the um, uh, on on a particular batch of malt," well, you can just deal with it straight away. Okay, so let's say I'm trying to find uh, a particular batch of malt that the supplier has said to me is, is say contaminated with a pesticide or something like that. So all I go do is I go into reports, go to inventory. I'm gonna select a date range here. I'm gonna go from start of January to the end of March. And what I'm gonna do is I've got my column here about the lot number. Now the suppliers told me that it's lot A123 of their malt that's been uh, affected. And as I can see
1: here, I've got 23. What a convenient lot number for it to be mistaken! It's almost as if oh, I'm it's just amazing, it. isn't
0: it? <laughs> <laughs> and so, what I've got here is I've now filtered all of the inventory deduction events that have happened uh, based on batches of beer that have used lot A one two three of uh, two row pale malt. Okay, and now straight away I can see and I can expand this out which brands are affected so i can see the japanese ipa kiwi liquor base malaysian ipa brown sugar out like you know there's a whole bunch of different brands that are affected but rather than going and having to recall all of those brands from all of those batches i can actually see which batches of those brands are affected okay and i now know that i can do a targeted product recall uh in order to uh, get that product off the market and deal with that food safety issue, and I've done it in under 30 seconds. All right. Yeah. So imagine what it would be like, PK, if you had um, paper logs, and let's say you were still keeping lot traceability information. How long would it take you to basically go through months and months and months of paper logs and by hand looking at, oh, did I use batch A123? And the mistakes that could happen in that search for that batch of malt to be used right at a critical point where you've got to get your skates on and get that product recalled straight away. It's pretty insane stuff.
1: At that point, you know, all the money that you've spent on a software system or the, you know, getting it up and running and things, that just pays for itself right there. Because you have literally the full data set to be able to make a claim, whether it's through your insurance provider or whether it's through the grain supplier themselves. And let me show you another piece of this handout and we can wrap up after this, but if you Mm. screen share again, Let's go into another side quest slash bonus round associated with this. Um, Bonus round. Bonus round. Ding, ding, ding. So notice that it says Moroccan coconut stout batch three, right? So one of the cool things here is I want you to go on the left side. Let's go to batch history um, on the left. Yeah. And I want you to just search up top for uh, coconut. Just put in stout and it should come up with batch three. There we go. Batch Uh, three. Yep. Yep. So there's there's two key areas that I really want to emphasize here, right? So if I'm going to be doing a um if I'm going to be doing a, a a recall, right up there I know that the overall cost to make this beer was $11,591, right? And 59 cents. That's including my raw materials, my packaging supply costs. So that cost there is literally money for you to understand where right? if you look at all those batches that had A123, that's literally Close to fifty to a hundred thousand dollars, right there, in terms mm. of just the itself. But now, what's cool about this is if you scroll up, you can actually take it a step further. And if you click on sales, that last toggle at the right, this is actually getting into the beer thirty sales traceability module, where now I actually have the exact streets, cities, purchase, uh, uh sales the orders, you it, and you have a client. So taking a step further is part of that, um, part of that, uh, you know, breakdown of things now not only do i have the exact dollar value that that beer was tied in with that i can run a report for all the ingredients and all, all all the ingredients that were all the lot all the batches that had the missing lot number the incorrect lot number in it now i can also see the entire dollar value that was actually for sales that i'm gonna have to ah, give that money, right
0: yeah, so yeah of course like,
1: hey i gotta i gotta pay beer garden back 250 dollars because of this uh that was there so it, it's just taking it one step further. Associated with it, oh, not that thing! What a legend! Look at that! Uh, <laughs> how did I did that. Um, yeah, so so that takes it a step further. Um, the the that's a, that's a huge stuff. thing.
0: That's a huge thing, mate. Because uh, you've done you've done so much in just one screen. So. Firstly, it's made your recall job much easier because now I know which clients I've sent it to. I mean, you still have to go going to go through the, the 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 public health and safety aspect of it, but recalling and contacting the clients who bought it is actually and, and working out who bought this product is part of a recall plan. And now you know which clients have uh, which customers have 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 bought this product, and you can just pick up the phone and call them and start to recover that product and you can even go as far as say hey hey man how much have you got left All right and you can actually start to work out the potential in in you know public health and safety uh, impact of it as well as working out what you're going to be up for with regards to refunds and 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 the financial impact and that sort of thing so even though like going through a situation like that where you have to do a recall for a reason that has been 100% out of your control but because of a supplier all this and, and as stressful as that would be, mate, I, I would still be stressed. But the thing is, is that I know I, I data has helped me to sort of be in control of the situation and be able to manage it and 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 execute an effective recall. Because if you execute an effective recall and you're transparent about it, consumers and the beer industry sees that and they go, "This is a good brewery that is open and transparent." and does the right thing by their consumers and believe it or not even when you when you're in the trenches dealing with a recall situation you don't realize this and you really want to sweep it under the carpet but being open and transparent and dealing with a recall in the right way will actually boost your brand in the long term and i've seen it happen personally it's amazing
1: yeah i mean that's awesome and i think you know, it really comes down to that level of you could be reactive and once if that were to ever happen to somebody, then think about, oh, I gotta implement something like Beer 30. But realistically, if you're trying to be proactive, you know, I personally have been on the other end of this where, you know, we give quotes out to prospects and they're like, Whoa, this is very expensive. Well, it's an investment. Think of a software like Beer 30, just like you would, a pH meter, just like you would, you know, getting a new tank, a new uh, brew house kit, a brew kit, just like you could consider ingredients. Think of a software system like Beer30 just as important as you would a lab equipment piece, right? And so mm-hmm. it all ties in where if you don't have those pieces all talking to one another, or even different components, right? We have some customers that use a competitor for the entire financial side, but st- still use us from Beer30 Labs, right? And so it becomes mm-hmm. a really good way where they could still keep using us for the actual brew process, lab quality, yeast genealogy, diastatic, fermentation stuff. And then others that go full stack with product recall, traceability, ingredients, and lot numbers. So that's one of the beauty things that I would love telling about Beer 30 when I'm sharing this is that pick your own destiny, pick and choose mm. modules. Mm. That way you're not paying for things that you want. And if you know, anybody watching this is interested, feel free to reach out to Hendo, reach out to myself, you know, reach out to Andrew Copeland from CVP, and happy to set up a demo and talk more about this and you know have more fun stories to share about how data can actually help you. Hashtag grew more, hashtag grew better. And I had to do the whole, you know, hashtags. Hashtag. Yeah, nice work, mate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good chat, legend. Always a pleasure to talk to you. You have an awesome day and we'll talk (laughs) soon.
1: Thank you, Mr. Henderson. Hendo, chat with you still, mate. Cheers. If
0: you like this content, please subscribe, share with other craft beer professionals and give us a five-star review. Cheers.